you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. <clears throat> we'll be in chapter 1 of 1 Peter in verses 3 through 5. Now last year, at this time, of course, you know, many of you will remember I stood up here while you watched on, but you watched on not from the pews as you are doing right now, but you watched from home. And I'll be honest, you know, that that was hard. <laughs> it was just odd to preach to an empty sanctuary. I'm sure it was odd for you as you sat on your couches or you sat in your chairs and you're, you're sitting there worshiping the Lord from your homes, which all this was just not normal. And so it was hard. And so Easter a year ago was certainly different. We were in for a year that we had no idea what we were in for. We were in for a trying year. But as I said then, and I'll say now, a year later, though our days may be filled with triumphs or troubles in Christ, we aren't those who live without hope and without God in the world. Ours is no dead hope. Christ is alive and He is risen. And so we worship a risen Savior. And with that, a living hope. He was victoriously risen then, and He is risen victorious today, and He is the risen victor in the myriad of days to come. Praise the Lord. So it is in view of this living hope that we turn then to our passage this morning here in First. Peter chapter 1. So let's read here, there in the beginning, verse 1 until verse 5 here. And so may God bless His hope-filled, God-glorifying, and Christ-exalting word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great Mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. As we come to this passage in First 
Peter, and before we begin looking kind of directly at verses 3 through 5, we need to see a a few things first before we kind of dive into those verses. So the letter, it begins and it kind of continues on as you read all of the all of the letter of first peter and it kind of continues on with a certain kind of perspective to it a certain kind of demeanor about it so as i as i read there the opening words of this letter i want to just kind of ask you did you notice what peter he said about the christian there just the first two verses Well, in verse 1, it doesn't say that, you know, say Christians are elect homeowners, does it? Right? Doesn't say elect natives. Doesn't say elect residents. What are they called? Elect exiles. How odd, right? (laughs) Is that the way that you would think? That he, what we are as Christians, is that the way you think of yourself? An elect exile? What? Is that the American kind of Christianity that we eat and breathe? You know, chosen foreigners, chosen non-residents, chosen non-natives. Well, why does Peter... Why does he say that? Why does he do that? He does that because he's writing here to them and to us to spur us on and hope as those who are homeless. That is, that this is not our home. Amen. This is not our home. He is writing to spur on believers here who were facing persecution as those awaiting the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, you are exiles in this land or whatever land you are in. America, China, Australia, Africa, wherever. You're exiles here, not your home. And this is why he says, in 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, some translations say strangers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You're a sojourner here. You're an exile here. Americans, this is not your home. And this is also why he says in chapter 4, verse 12 through 14, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And none of that's strange. None of that's odd to biblical Christianity. When Jesus, he said, take up your cross and follow me, that's just part of the normal Christian life right there. 
the expectation that being a believer in Christ will mean a cross daily, nothing new. So don't be surprised. Elect exiles in this land and in every land you may be in. And so what is set forth ahead here in verses 3 through 5, it is not chained to this world. He's not talking about a hope that's kind of clinging to all this stuff, you know, I need to have it all. He's not talking about that. A chaining of hope to this world. Yet even so, he doesn't, he doesn't begin here like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, you know, either. You know what I'm talking about? Like all, all gloomy and downtrodden, you know, like, oh boy, this world, my car is going to break down, you know, my house, you know, and so on. You know, everything has a dark kind of gloomy side. That's not how he begins. Your elect exiles, yes, all that suffering and everything else, but that's not how he begins. That's not how we're to see our lives even. This kind of gloomy, kind of, oh, woe is me, kind of picture. That's not how he begins. No, he begins as we are to begin this morning. And what does he do? He blesses God. He blesses God. And so you and I also are to begin this Easter Sunday with what? With worship. (laughs) With worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, may God be blessed. May God be praised. That's how he's beginning. Yes, all that other stuff. Yes, it's true. But praise him brothers and sisters in the Lord. Praise Him, those who are in Jesus Christ. You have reason to. COVID or not, you have reason to. And so we see right out of the gates that God, He takes center stage here. Out of the gates, we see that we need God and need to worship Him. We need God and need to worship Him. So perspective and hope in the midst of trying times, whatever those may look like, even if perhaps worse than today, or even much better than today, perspective comes. It's not It's not in distancing ourselves from God and the worship of God. That's not when you're going to get perspective. That's not when you're going to get hope. Instead, perspective and hope, they are found in exalting God and His greatness and remembering the mighty wonders that He has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Comes perspective and hope in the midst of whatever you're going through. It's in remembering His goodness towards us. It's in remembering that we were made, you were made by Him, and you were made for Him. That is why you are alive. That is why your heart is beating right 
Now that's why you're breathing is so that you, you were made to worship God. So if you're made for that, then you can just understand why everything in your life just can kind of be in pieces because you're not perhaps doing that. Your perspective and your hope can be in shambles because perhaps you're not doing that. And so it's remembering these things, remembering even the distance between us and God, that it was gulfed through this one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we see here that this isn't, or this, this worship, it isn't, it isn't just, you know, it's not like we're talking about just kind of any God here either, Right? It's not saying, you know, that there is even another God to be worshipped. This is talking about the worship of the one true living God, He who is and who was and who always will be. Before you are born, after you die, He is still and always be God. He isn't some kind of, you know... Small g God that we've kind of manufactured. This isn't some idol. This isn't some speculation, like philosophizing, kind of mere conjecture. This is the God upon whom all peoples everywhere everywhere will have to deal. He is over North America. He is over South America. He is over Africa. He is over Europe. He is over Asia. He is over the oceans. He is over the lands. He is over the skies. He is over the stars. He is over the planets. He is over the galaxies. And He is over all things. Amen. This is the God who is. And this is the triune God who is. As Peter opened this letter saying unashamedly, unabashedly in verse 2, the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune and the living God. He is God. And so this is the triune God as Peter opened saying and blessing God and showing these things. And so worship of the triune God is the tone of these opening verses. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is a fitting response then and view of such a doxology? Amen. That's right. We aren't to kind of just back away and say, all right, Peter, you're blessing God. That's all well and good for you to do. I'll just kind of stay over here in my corner and just watch. No, we are to join Peter and worship God right now, blessing God with him. So we are to bless him. We are to bless God also. Our eyes are to be tilted Upward, 
We are to worship, exalt, and glory in God, even as the psalmist does in Psalm 9, where he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Bless him. And so this, this Easter morning, friends, let's begin by obeying. Let's bless God. Let's lift up his name and glory and glorify God. Let's worship this Easter morning. And that's how this passage begins. And that's how we are to begin also. But Peter, here, he goes on then, and he gives us a number of reasons to bless God, and he gives us, in fact, many reasons to bless God. Now, you could, you know, you could well look up into the sky, you know, on a starry night, and and see, you know, the the myriad of stars there, and then for, for each one of them, you could give another reason to bless God with every single one. And we could do that on and on and on. That's how many reasons we could give to bless God. So there are many, many reasons to worship Him and bless Him. Yet here, Peter, he gives us three specific reasons to bless God this morning. And the first is this. Bless Him for his bountiful mercy. Bless him for his bountiful mercy. Now, just note there what it says. Does it just say according to his mercy? No. We have there before it an adjective. We have that word that precedes it there, the, the word great. This this mercy is great mercy. This mercy is remarkable mercy. This mercy is incredible mercy, abundant mercy. His mercy is magnificent. It's wonderful. It's precious and is yours in Christ. And this is mercy that we need to ponder. So let's ponder this mercy. It's worthy of our consideration. So it's not kind of this small, kind of insignificant, you know, kind of trifle sort of mercy. Kind of like a little pebble over there, you know, kind of kick it and it's gone. Or you don't even see it kind of mercy. That's not the kind of mercy that we see here. You know, a number of years ago, a man, he, he built, you may or may not know this, and not that you would need to know this, but he, bought, he, he built a mini boat that was so small that you could basically fit it into an SUV, you know, a portable boat you could take out, fold out, and put it on the water. Well, that's not what this mercy is like. God's mercy here is not like that. It's more like 
that massive 1,300-foot shipping container, the Evergreen or Ever Given, that blocked the Suez Canal this past week. It is massive. It is great mercy. Now, as you ponder this mercy, be careful here that you aren't kind of mangling it and contorting it in a way that is fitting to you and away from its implications. Now, mercy is helping someone who is in serious need. It's, it's having pity on, and compassion on someone who is in real trouble and they are desperately in need of help. So this mercy, it is for the miserable. So, who could that be? Who is that? Yeah, it's me. It's you. And I mean, at this, I mean, it may be you're sitting there and maybe you're proud and you're just saying, you know, that isn't me. No way. I don't need no mercy. I'm just fine the way I am. Thank you very much. I'm not desperate. I'm not miserable. You can just leave that for those who are in need. Friends, if that is your disposition, you are perhaps the most in need or perhaps the most miserable of all of us here. The one who doesn't see they, they need mercy. They're proud and they say, no, I don't need that. I'm not in need of that. I'm fine just the way I am. Oh, friend, but you're not. You're not. You're not just fine. Those in need are mercy of mercy are every single one of us here. Not one here or online or wherever you are. You're not absent of the need for mercy. You need it. And you need this mercy. And so we need this, and this is where I urge you not to mangle this mercy. It's for the desperate, and that is you and me. And so just let's be honest this morning. You may think that, you know, for a moment that you're, you know, you're just like, I don't need any of that. I don't need that. I'm fine just the way I am. Let's be honest. Is that really true? Do you have it all together? Do you not feel the kind of darkness in your soul? Do you feel that guilt? That dirtiness that may perhaps be there? I remember that. Before I came to faith in Christ, it was just that. I didn't know exactly what that was, but that's what it was. This kind of stain all over me. What I do with me, I don't even know who I am. Let's be honest here this morning. Admit it plainly this morning. You need mercy. Let's not soften God nor soften our decrepit condition before God. Our hope is not in that. It's not found in making up a God 
to our liking to making up a God that won't, you know, plug the, the hole in our boats. Your hope is only in God as He is. Amen. In the God who really gives mercy not to the proud, but to the sinners. But to sinners. So if you would remain proud, it isn't mercy that you will receive, but it will be judgment. God gives mercy to the sinner. And this is who his infinite, wondrous mercy is for this morning. So we need to be honest here. Don't paint it over. Don't try to smooth it out. Try to put flowers around it. But every one of us need to see it well here and now. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Great mercy. Our sin has separated us from him. And this magnifies his mercy and his sending of his son. It is there in Christ that we have hope and that we drink in mercy, that we find help in our desperate God-needing state. Apart from Christ, we don't know him, but in Christ, we may know him evermore. And that is mercy that is there for you. And so we have that first reason to bless God this morning for his abundant mercy. And then we have another reason, a second reason here also. Bless God for new life. Peter, he says there in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So God, he acted. So, So the reason, the basis The only source for our salvation is God. And His his causing us to be born again in Christ by the Spirit of God. And so let's take a moment then also here and ponder what God has done. In this verse, it's talking about something we call theologically uh, regeneration. It's the, it's the giving of life where there was no life. So prior to having put your faith in Christ, this is where you were, or perhaps where maybe, maybe you are right now. You're dead, you know, not alive. But then, then God, by His merciful power, what he did is he brought life and hard hearts become new hearts. Old, dead creatures become alive, new creatures in Christ. The dead, they live, they breathe, they rise. And what do they do? They worship and bless God. And so this This verse, it makes it plain. We do not have here a man-centered gospel. This is a God-centered 
gospel. And so it is that Peter, he writes in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. That's the problem. We didn't know Him. Across your life, when that happened, you became broken in every way. Separated from Him. And so came the curse of sin. So came death. So came COVID. So came wars. So came conflict in families, in relationships, in everywhere because of that separation. It's all rooted in that. And so then, see what God has done to bring you to Himself. In all of this, we already see what encouragement that we have here that as exiles, as sojourners and strangers in this land, how much hope then do we have since this is not a hope that we have in us. It isn't a hope in our ability to keep ourselves, to save ourselves, to work hard enough to be saved. It isn't a hope in our ability to make it to the end, but it is a hope that is in God who saved us and it is in Him alone that we hope. And so we bless God for new life. And then we come to our third reason here, which we naturally go right into to bless God. And so bless Him for the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Christ. You probably are like, wait a minute, this is Easter. I haven't heard Easter yet. I mean, you've been talking about God, new life, great mercy, abundant mercy. Well, where is Easter? Well, now here we see it. Peter goes on and he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. So our hope, like I said as we began this morning, is not dead. The word living here, it means just that. Alive. It's alive. It's a hope that lives because Christ lives. This mercy, this regeneration, this living hope, it is inseparable from Christ and His resurrection. Now that that word hope here, it isn't kind of the same, you know, like you know, you may be thinking of kind of this kind of measly kind of hope, you know. It's, it's not like a hope like I, I, sure, I sure kind of hope that I get that job, you know. It's not the hope that this is talking about here. You know, I just, I just really hope that people like me, you know. It's, it's not talking about that kind of hope or even, you know, I really hope that I'll get to heaven. It's not even that kind of hope. This hope, it has a surety to it. It's hope that is secured already. It's as secure as is Christ is risen from the dead. 
It's done. It's finished. It is yours. This hope is a living hope. Christ's resurrection is so important here that Peter hinges these verses upon it and you take off the hinge of this door and it just collapses. Because His resurrection is the hinge. Apart from His literal, physical, true resurrection from the dead, we would have no hope whatsoever. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? You know, if He hasn't risen, then we are to be pitied among all. That's not the way it is. We do have hope. Amen. And so let's ponder the certainty of this hope. It is a certain hope, and with it comes certain inheritance. So let's ponder this certain inheritance that we have in Christ. An inheritance is something that you receive upon the death of another. Well, Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection, He has bought for us this eternal inheritance. This is, this is not an inheritance, or this is an inheritance that will not perish. This inheritance is imperishable. It's incorruptible. It's immortal. It's not a kind of a breakable egg kind of inheritance. It's an unbreakable mountain. This inheritance will not be spoiled. It's undefiled, unsoiled, pure, clean, good, and it cannot be ruined. This inheritance will not fade. It's unfading, permanent, everlasting, undiminishing. Its beauty and luster will never be lost. And it will not be taken away. It's kept in heaven for you. It's not going anywhere. And not because of you, but because of God. Amen. A living hope. Not based on me. I'm going to fail. I'm going to sin. I'm going to falter. I'm going to mess up. But it's because of Him. And only Him. Thank you, Lord, for something I can never do. You did that. So we have all these things because of God. Such that we are being powerfully guarded by God through faith until the end. So here we have a living hope for us. It's no false hope. It's no dream. It's real. And it's yours in Christ. It's a hope that will endure beyond COVID. Well beyond trials and troubles. Well beyond sorrows and sadnesses. Well beyond your homes. Well beyond your houses. Well beyond your jobs. Well beyond your degrees. Well beyond your toys and your trinkets. This is a hope that is worthy of everything in your life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. 
And you cannot say that if you're just clinging to this stuff, right? I'm not really, I mean, I'm an elect exile, but don't take it away. You know, I got I, I to keep it, got to keep it all. He's given it all to you. That's yours because it's a good gift from his hand. Take this, Lord, and take everything else. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. And just go and just live out that hope everywhere and anywhere, unashamedly. Now, this can't be said. This kind of hope that we're talking about this morning, it cannot be said of the world. And hear that. It cannot be said of the world. Its philosophies, its ideas, its whole demeanor and motive and mind and heart. Because the hope of the world is bankrupt. We have no dead hope. But the world, its hope is dead. It has no living hope. This hope, it would have you be born physically in this world, come of age, get your career, build your relationships, build a family, get that picket fence, and die and hope for some temporary legacy for you to leave behind. That's your life. You get a lot of meaning out of that? We hope you found some somewhere because we're not going to give you an answer to that. Actually, just make up a meaning. Just, just find your own meaning because we don't know where to find one. That's your life from the world. So let's look at that. Let's look at that. Let's look at it. How does God view that life? How does God view that hope? How does he view a life like that? So let's consider it. You are born into this world. You are born. The world didn't tell you this. You are born with a sin nature. You are fallen and you are severed from God. Right out of the womb. You don't know him. You need him. Right out of the bat, you need God desperately. You need mercy desperately. And so you live on. You begin to grow up. You begin to learn. You begin living in the world. You start taking up its aims and its philosophies. But remember, what kind of hope the world has? No hope. And perhaps, you know, maybe your parents are there as you're growing and they're only encouraging you on in this, you know, oh, go on and find out who you are. You know, I'm not going to tell you what God you need to worship or, you know, you go find your own God. You could go worship this one or this one or this one. You know, you be you. I don't, I don't know any of those things. You go find out who you are. Maybe your parents told you that growing up and they lifted up to you the American dream. They lifted up to you individualism. They lift it up to you, self-worship, while ignoring the God who made them and the God who made you for himself. And God sees it all.
So on would you go. You go into your career receiving every good gift from above, even though you don't know God. Yet all those gifts, all the daily mercies, you spurned his hand. This was done by my hand and effort. It had nothing to do with him. I did that. Same person as the proud person we met earlier. And you went on, you gained your success while neglecting love for God and love for others. When you gave, maybe you gave abundantly to others. You gave to the poor. You gave to all kinds of things. But you did not give for His glory. It was not done out of love for God. And it was not done out of true faith in God. And anything that's not done by faith is sin. And so you continue your life. You impacted others to turn further from God instead of turn to Him and to have life. And your life was godless. It was a dead hope. You ignored death. You even laughed at it. You spurned it. It was all just natural. You said, is this natural to die? Maybe even evolution even. And then death comes. The curse of sin comes upon you like a tsunami, and your family cries, people attend your funeral, yet there you are now your whole life before God as a massive stain of sin, a massive life of rebellion, a massive life of unbelief, of idolatry, of false worship, and now here you are standing before the God of the universe who saw every single thing. He knew every single thought and every single thing you did. He knows it all. Each word, every secret act, and he won't be deceived. Mercy was possible because of Christ, but you refused it. Now, only justice stands rightly against you for all of eternity. God is holy, he is righteous, and he is just, he is good, he is God. And we rebelled against him. If you think that's odd, do you ever, let's just say this happened to you. Let's say you know, someone came and, I mean, Lord forbid, and, and they took the life of one of your family members and then this judge comes along and says, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that was the first time murdering someone, so I'll just let him off the hook. How would you feel about that? That's not a good judge. That's an unrighteous judge. God is a righteous judge. And that means that sin is against him. And it's a, a sin against the infinite God. That means it will cause an infinite separation between you and God. And so there you are. Your life. And so you see that kind of life. It's no success story as the world would have you believe. 
It was, in fact, probably the saddest of stories ever written. And the sad thing is it's written again and again and again and again and again. While you had time, you used it to squander it, waste it, lose it. But this morning, friends, there is hope, and there is still hope, and that hope is in Christ for you this morning. He did not stay buried. He rose to save you. He rose to save us, to save sinners, to make you right with God through faith in Christ. So that separation throughout your life that you've lived, He would come, engulf it, and bring you back to knowing God forever. He came and died for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. So will you believe in Him this morning if you don't know Him here this morning? Will you put your faith in Christ? Don't waste your life. Don't waste it on the dead hope of this world when God, He offers you Himself in the living hope forevermore. May it be. And you would join us and you would join the saints in rejoicing in reason after reason to bless God this morning and this Easter Sunday to bless Him for His bountiful mercy. To bless Him for new life. To bless Him for this living hope. So one and all, may we then do as we saw Peter begin. May we leave here rejoicing in God for living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and just pray that there are there's so many perhaps feelings and emotions that we have right now. And for those who perhaps are here who don't know Christ this morning and they've heard all this and they've heard of this living hope and they, they see it, they see all this in themselves and they're wondering, what do I need to do? I mean, I have all these things like, what will people think of me? What, what will all this and that and this? You're calling them right now just to see right now, this this moment, to see Christ. To focus on what you have done for them. The one who came and died was buried and rose again to save sinners, to save them. So I pray and we pray together that we would come honestly right now just letting you examine our hearts. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, may they put their their faith in Christ this morning. And for the saints, we pray that this is Easter. We have great reason to rejoice. May we go out of here blessing your name, rejoicing in your name, 
pondering your great, abundant mercy, pondering the new life you've given us, pondering this living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and letting that go into every single corner and crevice of our lives. So help us, Father, we pray. May we respond this morning to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.